0: Uh, We're starting the new series, R12, and uh, the core question for this whole series is going to be this. It's going to be, what is true spirituality? What does it look like to have a relationship with God to pursue spirituality that is life-giving, not restricting, not binding, not fake, not weird, but true spirituality? And to kick it off, we're just gonna have you uh, if you want, enjoy, hopefully, this short video clip that illustrates uh, in a humorous way and some serious points as well. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you get it? It's an interrupting cow, no. he interrupts, that's what he does. He's a move, right?
1: So dumb, it's a knock, knock it The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures.
0: What are you doing? It's me. It's Jesus.
1: Lord, we take up our cross every day for you.
0: Oh, thank you. Uh, but the
1: cross is where it begins, not ends. Thou art the beginning and the end, Lord, Alpha and
0: Omega. It's all about you, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, guys, I, I just want you to be real with me. You are the air I breathe. You are the air I breathe. <laughs> Drew, I think it's great when you worship me. Oh, yes, praise you, Lord Jesus. It's just that it sometimes it feels like you're putting on a show. Oh, Jesus, please forgive me for putting on a show and the uh, fake. Okay, I, I forgive you. Oh, praise Jesus, for your grace. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Guys, just say what you would normally say. Praise the Lord. No, I mean, like, you know, if we were talking, you know, say what you'd say. Okay, um, Drew, tell us a joke. What? Yeah, I mean, you know, like you were before. Thou art holy, Lord. That's not a joke. Holy? No, I, I didn't mean that. What are you guys doing?
1: Jesus, we're living for you, just like we always do.
0: Don't live for me. Live in me. When you live in me, you'll understand who you are and what you're living for. I just want something a little bit deeper.
1: But this is all you
0: want... What a great question. Is this, is this all you want? You know, it's so easy in life, in our pursuit of God, in our pursuit of meaning in life, to get entrapped by so many things that we think spirituality is. I asked my wife, Wendy, to come because she's got a story from her own experience that uh, I think illustrates and may speak to some of you.
1: I was in my mid-twenties, graduated from a Christian university and had a theology minor and was very active in ministry, was married to a guy who... I was in seminary and wanted to devote his life to full-time church work. And um, at that season of my life, I, I i don't know if it's that performance goal thing, which you actually have more no, of no, than No, no, it's more but, you. It's more you. <laughs> um, but I, I was in that time of the church where it's being very, church wasn't, um, I was really disengaging. I couldn't figure out my relationship with uh, with God was very disengaged. I was questioning who he was. I looked a lot like the praise alleluia kind of girl. Um, That was me. I could look a good front, but I knew that for this long journey of us trying to be together, if we were going to do life together, um, my Christian faith was starting to feel very fake. And I knew that couldn't last for long, and I was just one of those really tired Christians. And what was interesting to me is that God had put me working in a psych psych facility, and um, I had been working with a, um, a group of young people that were working through their addictions. And this one group that we were having, it was working through the 12 steps, and they had already gone through the first step where they realized that they were powerless over their addiction. And we were working on the second step where they were trying to come up with an understanding of a higher power and how that was going to help them to restore their sanity. And so as they were, had each done individual work of identifying who their concept of a higher power was, um, they came together, and as I listened to each person share their understanding of a higher power, I was becoming more and more livid inside. Um, they would describe um, their higher power as a person, and he was this most consistent person for them. He was always there for them. He, no matter how many times they screwed up, he was, would forgive them, and he was loving, and he was all these things. And I was becoming more and more angry and in my mind, I said, yeah, that's fine for you. You get to pick your higher power, but I'm stuck with Jesus. And it was like, oh, my goodness, I couldn't believe how I had gotten so far off. Like, if anybody should have the best higher power, it should be a follower of Christ. And I knew that, and so it began a journey for me of knowing that, I mean, he is everything that is true and good and perfect and loving, and and it was all about um Meeting him in a relationship again. And who would have thought that I would have met him again in a 12-step meeting?
0: Thanks. I remember the night she actually came home from work that way. She was angry. She was going, they get to define their God. I wish I could just define my God myself. And that's oftentimes the way we approach spirituality. But before we get further down that path, I want to back up for a second. And I I want to borrow your memory for a minute. And I want you to think for me uh, from your history, when was the first time that you can remember having an encounter with God? Now, you may still question whether it was really an encounter with God, but you, th- you think this was the first time you ever remember having an encounter with God and experiencing his presence. Where were you? What was What was happening? For me, in thinking about it, there were two two different experiences that happened both in uh, around second grade, and they were both very different. One of them was uh, we were at a family camp uh, that summer, and they have this old tabernacle with you know screen windows on it, and we were by the lake, and it was evening. It was a cool evening in Minnesota, and the birds and the mosquitoes were out. Thankfully, the mosquitoes were mostly outside of the tabernacle because of the screens, and we were sitting there listening to the speaker and the and the music. And I just remember I remember as a second grader this just Strong, almost tangible sense of warmth and presence and peace and God's presence coming on me, and I just knew that it was God. And then there was a very different experience I had too. That same winter, uh, I grew up doing a paper route, and we lived in a real small town at that time. It wasn't the Keister town; it was actually Danube. That was before we moved to the to the butt of all jokes town. Uh, but it was a cold winter and, the, and there was a storm coming in and we already had a, a foot or so of snow on the ground and I was crunching through the snow in my snowmobile suit all bundled up and going over to the place where the, uh, where the uh, papers would get dropped so I could deliver them. And it was just a box along the side of the, a side of the road and that day the, uh, the guy was late because a, a winter storm was coming and he wasn't traveling as fast. So I remember getting there and I opened the box and I look in and it's empty. And at that very moment, it was one of those really profound experiences because all I was thinking about walking over there was hopefully school is going to get called off tomorrow so I could play in the snow with all my friends, and that's all I was thinking about. But when I looked in the box, this profound sense of emptiness came over me. And it wasn't verbal, it wasn't audible, anything like that, but I felt like God said to me, if you don't submit your life to me and follow me, your life is going to be as empty as this box. And have you ever had those experiences? It was so profound that even to this day, you know, what now, 38, 39, 40 years later, I can still remember that box. I can almost smell the smells I was smelling. I can remember the straw even inside the box that they had on the bottom of the box so that if it was rainy or the snow was melting, the papers would be up high enough and they'd stay dry. It's just one of those things that gets burned in your memory. And then... Go with me for a minute and think maybe about your own life. What's the journey been like since that first time you had an experience of God's presence? You know, for me, having those experiences, you would think you were smart enough to say, okay, God, I'm going to be yours. But it was at least three years more before I actually came to the point of saying, okay, God, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want you to lead my life for me. But even then, because I knew at an early age that part of God's plan and purpose for my life, I just knew it was to be doing what I'm doing now as a pastor. And I had, I had no desire to do that. It was, the, it was the worst thing I could ever think of anybody doing in life. And so I still fought with God for a number of years and I wrestled with Him and I'd I'd go back and forth between one day really following God and and living my life right and and, and then the next day I'd be out there doing stuff that I wanted to do or stuff that my friends wanted me to do and doing unhealthy, harmful things in relationships that just aren't good for anybody to be doing. And and I'd find myself vacillating between feeling really good about life and then I'd screw up and then I'd repent and then I'd feel really good about life and then I'd repent and then I'd... You know, have you ever gotten yourself in that cycle where it's just this cycle of okay I'm okay today but oh man a couple hours from now now I'm really I'm really a mess up and I and I got to repent and I got to I feel guilty all the time and vacillating and then then there came for me in my journey this point where where I knew that I had to not only say god I want to follow you but I had to actually give him everything I had to I had to actually say okay if you're telling me to do this even though it's the worst thing i can imagine doing i'm going to do it okay and when I made that decision, my life went from this vacillating thing to this really, really intense focus. Everything was about spiritual discipline. Everything was about moral discipline, living really, really well and really, really squeaky clean and good. And, and there were a lot of things that God did in my life during that time. But, but it wasn't very many years later that I found myself being actually a whole lot more like the people that Jesus referred to as whitewashed tombs than a, than a good Christian and 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 I was the, probably the person that some of you around here who have struggled with your faith just hated because I was just this pompous, self-righteous, pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps-better-than-anybody-else type of person and the attitude. And, and you see, when you start working, when you try to get into this mode of trying to, uh, yes, I'm saved by grace, but now I have to prove that I'm worth it. And I have to merit it and I have to work really hard. And when you start getting into this whole performance thing, then all of a sudden life for all of us becomes about comparison. And it actually starts damaging your relationships because the only way you can perform is to be better than other people. So then I was better than all those sinners. You know how that goes? Because you had to perform. You had to be good. And the reality as I was thinking about this that I realized is that, is that for some of us here, you've probably gone that performance route. And some of you have just gone the route of bagging it. But you know what? We're all responding to the same core questions. The same core issues. We're just responding to them in different ways. Some of us choose to perform and work hard to to try to measure up and others of us look at those, look at at relationship with God and look at what we think he expects and what it means to be spiritual, what it means to follow Christ and instead of saying we're going to perform or we're going to work hard, we just say, well, I've watched plenty of people doing it and they don't seem to have their lives changed and they live this way on Sundays and that way during the weeks and I'm just going to bag it, I'm not even going to try but it really all comes down to whichever side of the fence you land on the most. And we probably all landed on both sides of that fence for a while. It's all centered around the same thing. What does it mean to follow God? What does it mean to be truly spiritual? What does it mean to live a life that's full, that's actually life-giving spirituality instead of something restricting and something that's fake? Because the reality is that most of us come to the point in life where we realize we try really hard and we fail. And we try harder and we fail again. And then we try and try and try and we continue to fail. And eventually, we either make the choice of bagging it or if you're still here today, more than likely, you're just faking it you're just you're just saying okay i'm going to be the best i can but you know what god there's this area in my life uh, that I, I, i'm never going to be able to be free, be free of you're never going to be able to change this is always going to be a problem for me and you can't you can't fix this in me so i'm just going to go to church i'm going to be as good as i can and hopefully nobody'll know and i'll fake it during the week cuz this is never going away god cuz you you can't you can't touch this and and the reality is for me that performance led to the place, and I've mentioned this before, but I'm talking about it slightly different. Performance for me led to the place where I I experienced a a fairly deep depression for four years. And I remember during that time frame going from the self-righteous, pompous person who always compared myself thinking I had to be better than other people, and I was better than other people because I performed better than a lot of people, I went to this place where I experienced so many temptations during those dark moments that I realized I could sin, I could fall, I could do anything, be tempted to do anything anybody else did. In fact, I vividly remember one of those experiences. I was driving down Highway 64 from Tulsa and the turnpike from Tulsa to Ponca City to deliver a next-day air package because I was working my way through uh, graduate school working at UPS and... And I remember just being so depressed and having thoughts of all sorts of temptations going through my mind and being so frustrated with it that at one point I just thought, you know, it would be a whole lot easier to just drive this thing at 70 miles an hour into the pylon of the overpass and just, just, just end it all. Because the reality is if we focus on life, if we focus on spirituality as something we have to perform for, something we have to do to earn something... Instead of this true relationship, we end up in a place like I did where, where, where the church politics and the pain of that had taken their toll. The fact that I'd worked for people and, and I'd looked up to them and thought, these guys are spiritual giants, and then I realized that they're no different than me and they're struggling the same as me, and in fact, some of them are up there and they even have overtly sinister motives. And then there was the pain of life, uh, you know, deaths of friends and relationship problems like all of us experience and just difficulties and, and it had taken its toll and, and the performance and, and trying to measure up, trying to be godly enough had taken its toll. And I, I got to the point where I just started asking, you know, is this all there is to godliness? Is, is there no more than just this to life and I'm sitting there, you know, I, I, could, I could tell you all the right answers. I was on my third, third degree that related to being a part of pastor, pastoring and theological degrees. And I could tell you all the right answers. I could go through intellectually and say, we're saved by grace. It's a free gift and we don't have to merit anything. And, but you know what? Functionally, I was like probably many of us are. Functionally, I can say the right answers, but emotionally and functionally and and myself talk to myself, it was always, if I don't read the Bible enough, then God is not going to show up and talk to me and bless me. If I don't pray enough, then he's not going to be good to me. And if if I don't do the right things all the time and instead do the wrong things, then God's going to hate me and he's not going to be there. It isn't that where a lot of us live you know, studies consistently show when they study the people in the church that we are either one of two things. We're either living living life on Sundays and around our church people trying to put on a good face, but in our private world or in our business we're living a totally different way and we don't think God can ever change that for us. Or we're stuck in the performance trap. One of two ways. In fact, some of the studies say nine out of ten Christians fit into one of those two categories. So what does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to be truly spiritual? What does it mean to have a spirituality that is actually life-giving and not not pressure, not not hard, not is this all there is? Is this all you want? Type of a spirituality. Well, there are three common views that we struggle with today and in addition to kind of what I talked about. The three common views, one of them is that is that is God an angry deity? You know, we look at God and say, He's angry, He's out to punish us, and if we screw up, He's going to be there, and He's just looking for the opportunity to just give you the whip. And if we want to serve a God, if we even decide to serve a God like that, that's when we actually get heavily into, into the performance. We start saying, I have to do this this X number of times a day, I read the Bible, may, uh, memorize enough verses, pray enough. And if I do this, then I can appease an angry God and maybe he'll be good and maybe he'll bless me. The second way of looking at God is this God is a cosmic scorekeeper. And, you know, we got the the bulls and the bears up there and we go through life thinking, if I just do enough good, more good than I do bad, then maybe, maybe, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I'll be good enough. That's all we need. We just need to have one more. We need to at least be even if not one more notch in the bulls column. And then then God's okay with us. And and we treat him like a cosmic scorekeeper and we try to figure out his rules and we just try to try to do just enough. We try to give a little more than we take. We try to we try to be nice a little more than we're mean, polite a little more than we're rude, and you know, we'll be okay. And then there's a third way that's real prevalent today. And, and this is the idea that God is this impersonal force. He's, he's everywhere. He's in everything. He, and he's in nature. He's in the trees. He's in the air. He's in all of us. And so all we have to do is figure out how to meditate and somehow come into awareness of this, of this conscious presence of this being that's everywhere. And it's just this impersonal force that's, that's all around. And, all three of these approaches to spirituality lead us down to an idea of God that is not accurate and they lead us to a spirituality that puts everything back on our laps to perform in some way or another and it leads to death and it leads to frustration. John, the Apostle John in 1 John 3.1 says this, He says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And then Jesus, we referenced this verse a couple times before, but it's worth looking at again. He says, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And this then is how you should pray. Pray, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. God is not an angry deity that we're supposed to worship. He's not a cosmic scorekeeper up there keeping track of your of the balance of your good and your bad and trying to figure out if you're good enough and and he's not an impersonal force. He is a loving. He is a good in the best definition of the word. He is a patient, kind father who knows what you need before you ever even ask. You see, true spirituality, and we were dealing with this in the last series in more detail, is begins with an accurate picture of God. You know, think about fathers. Think about mothers. Both. If you're a parent here, and you've had a child, it changes you, doesn't it? I remember holding our, our little babies in my hand and, and, and just... And looking at him, and, and we have all these dreams of what they can be. We know my youngest; he was he was 95 95%, 95th percentile height and weight for the first three years of his life. So my dream was he's going to be an NBA star, and I get the signing bonus, right? But we all have different dreams. Some of us say we want them to be a teacher. We want them to be a doctor. We want them to own their own business and, and stuff. And then later on, they grow up and they get into their teen years. And, and, and at that point, our our dreams as parents change. We just want them to have a good relationship with their siblings. We want them to have a good relationship with us. We want them to be able to have a good work ethic and survive. We want them to have good character so they, so they make it in life. And it really becomes more, our dreams really become more about character and, and really ultimately Our dreams become more about can we have a good relationship with them. But yet isn't it true? You know this as a parent. Kids can be the greatest joy in our life. And they can also bring the deepest sorrow. When they mess up, sometimes it just hurts you so bad. But you know what? Even when they're messing up, even when it's not going well, even when you as a parent don't know how can I help them get this kind of character and have these kind of good relationships and you're just exasperated, even in the midst of that, you as a parent still long, desperately long to have a great relationship with them. In fact, maybe some of you are here. Maybe you've got older kids and maybe you've got alienated relationships with them. You haven't had a relationship with them for years. But even in, even now, when you haven't seen them for years, if you step back and, and relax for a moment, isn't it true that even in the midst of all that pain, all that alienation, that you desperately long, that you wish you could do anything, that you would bend over backwards and do anything you could do to reestablish relationship? Kids, they... They have a strong power on our emotions. You see, our Heavenly Father has a dream for our life too. He has a dream that each one of us would be like His Son. and that He has a dream that we would all discover a purpose and fulfill it and that we'd enjoy that and He created us for that. And yet, the amazing thing about God is He has given us the power to influence His emotions. We can make Him really happy. We can please Him. And we can grieve him just like kids do for you. Now, when you talk about that, a lot of times we so instantly fall back into this. Okay, then I've got to work hard to please him. I've got to work hard to please him, and it's all about that. But, but, but again, back up. Think about you, especially if you're a parent. Think about you and your kids. They don't have to earn your love. They don't have to earn your affection. They don't have to earn your desire to have a relationship with them. They don't have to earn your desire to want to accept them and offer a relationship to them. You're bending over backwards wanting to do that. Sure, we, we can learn good relationship and we can have a better relationship, but, but that love, that acceptance, that desire, that longing, that, that thing that drives us as parents to want to have a relationship with them is always there regardless of the behavior. Pleasing God and honoring Him is not about meriting His love. It's about learning to live in that love relationship that He wants to desperately with us. You know, true spirituality is built on the principle of relationship as well. It's about an accurate picture of God. And it's about a principle of relationship. It's not that we approach this time of study as we're going to be going through the next few weeks and, and decide to figure out what all the rules and what all the boundaries are. And we're not out here to line our football field and put the hash marks in and learn the umpire's rules and figure out how to play the game right so we don't get any fouls. We're here to learn to have relationship with God. It's all about Relationship. Jesus says this, you know, the, the Pharisees of his day had this all wrong and, and they come to him and say, what's the greatest commandment? Now there's like 613 something odd commandments and then, and then all the religious leaders of the day had hundreds on top of that and they come to him and say, Jesus, what's, what's the most important commandment? Because they were all about figuring out the rules, defining their box so they could live life within the box and they could succeed because we all like to have what success is defined for us before we ever start the journey. But you know what? That isn't what relationships are about, is it? And Jesus says to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about relationship. In fact, Jesus' harshest words to anybody in the whole Bible, the harshest words in the whole Bible are to the people who didn't understand that it was about relationship, the people who came to their faith, their spirituality, as a set of morals. In fact, for some of you, maybe you decided to come to church simply because you want your kids to learn morals. Well, I've got to tell you, Morals are something good. We want to learn morals. Morals help us have better relationship, and we hope that we as a church can help that in our children's ministry. Obviously, we have a virtue-based program. But you know what? If that's your reason for coming to church, then you're coming already one step behind the curve because you're coming to a spirituality that will be lacking if that's the reason you're here. Because it's not about the morals it's not about the principles it's not about the laws that define the box it's about a relationship with god in fact paul the apostle paul says this he gives us his pedigree and he gives us his thoughts on this same on this same concept when he says this he says in philippians 3 if anyone else thinks he has reasons to have confidence in the flesh i have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. In other words, let's translate that. What he's saying is he's the most uptight, squeaky clean, better than thou, holier than thou, religious person you've ever met in your entire life. He performs. And here's what he says about that when he understood and discovered true spirituality. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss compared to, listen to this, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish, which is actually a term that literally means dung, poop. He, He considers everything he did before like everything that goes in the outhouse. He says he considers them that way, that I may gain Christ. Notice the relationship, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And then in verse 10 it goes on to say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings becoming like him in death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Isn't it true in your relationships that the deepest, most satisfying, most beautiful, most freeing, life-giving relationships you have are the people you've walked through the muck with and the good times both? And Paul's saying, I want to know you, Jesus, in the difficult things of your life, in the difficult parts of your mission. I want to know you in the good things both. It's all about relationship. Then he goes on to say, not only uh not that i have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect which is the whole concept in true spirituality it's a constant seeking we're always seeking i don't care where you are if you know christ have known him for 40 years or if you are still debating about whether you know christ we're the same we're just all seeking in fact it's a daily thing because it's so easy to get off track at any moment it's a daily seeking of that relationship Because a relationship, we all know this from our marriages, from our friendships, they need constant attention. Otherwise, they die. Otherwise, they become warped. And Paul goes on to say then, but I press on, speaking of his passion, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Really interesting imagery. God taking hold of him and him wanting to take hold of God. This picture of this beautiful relationship of of wanting to hug each other as friends and spend time together. And and just there's an intensity and a focus and intentionality. You see, Paul was a religious guy. He had it down. But then he discovered true spirituality, life-giving spirituality. And it was all about a correct view of God. And it was all about relationship but how do we do this how do we live this out in a practical way what's it look like to follow that path Romans 12 provides us that pathway and that's what we're going to be spending time on the next six weeks doing it it's a relational grace based pathway of true spirituality and I got to tell you if I had known this earlier in my life especially when I was burning myself out and burning my marriage to Wendy out and just being a, a keister In life, it would have saved me so much pain, so much pain. You know, this pathway that Jesus is inviting to us us to, and Paul is writing about, it's a pathway of knowing the Father. It's a pathway of understanding the grace of God in a way that helps us believe that the things that we think we can't change, that we'll never change in our life, it helps us believe that those things can be transformed. And when we allow Christ in in that way, in a true spirituality, those things can be changed. And they can be made something real. Now here, I want to give you just a little quick path of what it's going to look like. We're going to be dealing with this through this series with Romans 12. And uh, Romans 12 deals with five relationships in our life. And then it also deals with the response that we need to have in order to be really living in this life-giving spirituality. The First relationship it deals with in verse 1 is our relationship with God. And we're going to be talking next week about how we can give God what he wants the most. And we're going to define that as surrender, and we're going to talk about what that means and what it doesn't mean, and we're going to illustrate that on Sunday morning from the life of Abraham. And then you guys, if you're part of this process and engage in it, you're going to be reading the Living on the Edge book uh, a couple pages a day, and it's going to be exploring it more deeply in terms of Paul's writing and probably references to Jesus and stuff like that, and then you're going to be talking about it in a small group. So you can go beyond, why? So you can go beyond learning information to actually be involved in relationship and learn to take that stuff because just like me, I knew it theologically. But my life, my emotions, my inward thoughts betrayed me as believing something different about God and who He was and what He required of me. And then two weeks from now, We're going to be dealing in verse 2 with the relationship to the world and and learning what that means and to be separate from the world's values and what it doesn't mean because honestly, when we get into this religious performance thing especially, we start interpreting what it means to be separate from the world's values in a way that is not at all what the Bible talks about. And so we're going to be learning to get the best from God and what that means and and we're going to be illustrating that through looking at the character of Daniel in the Old Testament. And then week 4... We're going to talk about your relationship to yourself and, and what it means to have a sober assessment. What God, how God wants to view, wants us to view ourselves and, and, and deal with that. And we're going to look at the life in that instance of Moses and helping us come to grips with the real you. And then week five, what does it mean to live in authentic community? Because we're going to talk about, okay, now that we've, now that we're living with each other as, as a church, what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be believers? How should we relate to one another? And the Bible talks about us learning to serve one another. Now, serving might come across as something difficult and heavy for some, but God has wired us to be in relationship and to give in those relationships in a way that is life giving. What does that mean? How do we discover that? And we're going to look in that process at the life of David and Jonathan, two of the strongest male figures in the Bible, to discover what friendship and what authentic community really looks like. Week six, we're going to be dealing with the idea of relationship with the non believers. Now, I want to qualify this a little bit so you understand how we're talking about this, okay? I understand that a lot of non believers are seekers and they're very gracious. But this particular topic, we're going to look at the issue of maybe how do we deal with the non believers around us whose sin impacts their life with so much pain and because of our relationship with them impacts our lives with pain. Maybe even brings evil into us and we have to face it. How do we face pain and evil in the world? And we're going to talk about the fact that that Romans 12, the pathway talks about overcoming evil with good. And we're going to look at the life of Joseph and what that means and what it doesn't mean. How do we overcome the evil aimed at us? Now, what I'm afraid of is that if you're listening right now, you're probably thinking, okay, we're going to get this down. This is the pathway. We got the field mark. We got all the rules down. We get done with this. Now we're going to work really hard to do this. But that's the whole warning of this. As we approach this it's not about working hard to do the right things it's about learning what relationship is and how to have a great relationship based upon the grace it's a faith response to God it's nothing else other than a faith response to God and and the problem is you know this is this is also not addressing the whole picture because this is Romans 12 right it's the twelfth chapter of Romans. It's, it's not the first chapter. And so we need to understand that this whole chapter starts off with a therefore. And the therefore means Paul's about to sum up here all the rest of the stuff he's talked about into a path for us to follow. It's, it's not addressing the whole how do we come to faith because that's all addressed early in Romans. Romans 1-3 through 3 deals with the idea of sin and how sin entraps us, how, how it enslaves us, how freedom is not being able to do whatever you want to do. Freedom is being able to live the way God created you. And that sin is something all of us fall into. And it doesn't matter whether you've sinned a lot or whether you've sinned a little because sin, period, breaks relationship. And then we 're going to talk, in, and then Romans talks about in four through five the solution, and he talks about how God sent Jesus and why He sent him, and what it means to have grace given to us and a free gift from God to, to come to faith in God and then in four through four through, or six through eight, it uses a word this is a big theological word called sanctification, and basically it means, okay, now that you 've come to the place where you've said, "Okay, God, I surrender to my life, I accept your free gift, I want to follow you." How does that actually live out? Because the reality is this free gift hasn't totally transformed us. You know if you've come to Christ that you're still struggling with temptation. You're still struggling with things you wish weren't in your life. What's this process realistically look like when we walk out our faith and learn to walk into what God wants us to walk into, the freedom he wants to give us? In life, And that's what 6 through 8. And then 9 through 11 deals with the idea of sovereignty, the idea that God is in control. And we come to this place where we realize that he is so in control, we can trust him with anything and everything, whether it looks dark or good, easy or hard. He's fully trustworthy. And then comes chapter 12, which is the whole pathway saying, okay, in light of us learning this, us continuing to try to walk out all this stuff with God that we've learned in the rest. How can we give a grateful, thankful response to this amazing grace, this amazing mercy, this amazing kindness that's illustrated from chapters 1 through 11? And what does it look like? What does God want from us when we've realized this? And that's what we're going to talk about. So today... If you're here and you're not, you haven't made a choice that you're not convinced that Jesus is who He says. You haven't made a choice to follow Him. This is the best place you can start to search, because if you start searching here, you're going to learn the pathway that many people still in church struggle with. In fact, if you're a new believer, I'd say this is the place to start too because you're going to avoid a whole bunch of the pain and you're going to accelerate through those problems that you heard both Wendy and I face and that I think many of you have faced as well in your life. If you're here and you're just kind of a, a, you know, you, you come to church every now and then, you're, you're not here all the time. You, just, you come you know, once a month, a couple times a month, once every other, couple, every other month. I want to invite you to stick through six weeks in a row. I want to invite you to join a group and see if you can't come to the place in the six weeks where you sense this life-giving spirituality that is going to make it worth it for you to want to be here all the time. Not that it's important to be worth it here all the time, but I suspect if you don't come on a regular basis, you don't come because you don't see this as life-changing and worth it. And that reflects the fact that your pursuit of spirituality has still got some areas that's prob- that are probably not real life-giving, right? So I want to encourage you to engage this process. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've been around the block and you feel like your faith is in a good place and your, your spirituality is in a good place, your idea of who God is and is, is in a good place, where it's never perfect. We're all growing. We all, we're all, we all have to face stuff on a regular basis. But if you're in that place where you feel like you're, you're fairly mature in your faith, I want to encourage you because somebody asked me this question several months ago. They said, could you ever train us on what it means to be the disciple, to disciple someone? This is going to do that for you. So the invitations are simple today. The invitations are, uh, do you want to experience all God has for you? That's really what this is about. Are you willing to press in and try to get rid of the, 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 the stuff that's just fake, that's, that you're, you're concerned about? Would you like to experience the true spirituality that's based in relationship and love? Because that's really what it's all about. And if you're d- willing to do that, then would you commit for six weeks? Now, I know all of you can't commit for the entire six weeks because some of you are going to be out on business. You know, if somebody goes in the hospital, that's fine. But I'm asking you to make a serious commitment to say whatever possible, whenever possible, if at all possible, I'm going to engage this process for six weeks and see what God will do. Will you do that? Lord, I ask that you would uh, touch everyone here. And I pray, Lord, that that the areas where uh, thoughts may have come up in in each one of our minds about the ways that we likely have a twisted view of spirituality and who you are. Lord, I pray that you, through this process, would bring freedom to those areas for us and that you would teach us to have such a wonderful, life-giving spirituality following you, such a wonderful relationship with you. Lord, just come and do that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to do that and haven't already, you can sign up for a small group uh, out in the lobby. And uh, again, just to make you aware, if you, I I don't know if these are in your program, but they're out in the lobby for sure, uh, you can sign this and you get the books for free if you're willing to say, I'm going to do my best to commit to the six-week process. So I want to encourage you to do that. Have a great week. God bless.